Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favorite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awa Kairangi Kitai, where I'm recording today. Hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, falling apart. We have had a weekend between us. <laughs> I know. It has been a thing. So much has been happening. Um, are you feeling better? Because yeah. you were in a lot of pain yesterday. Marginally better than yesterday. I've been mostly horizontal today because I've done something to my back. And mm. it's a little bit better today. Yeah. Like, I can, I have a little bit, my neck can go to here now. Which is further than yesterday. So mm. improvement, right? But now I also have a cold. That is the worst sort of back pain when you can't move your mm. neck enough. Yeah, because like if I move my neck, it like radiates all the way down into my shoulder blade, like down my scapula. Oh. So yeah, it's just not great. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> Hello. Hello, buddy. What's up? What did you say? I'm recording. Can you go out that way and shut the door behind you? I'll look the other way if you eat the rest of that chocolate, but you have to go right now. Bribes. I love it. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yes, this is an example of my excellent parenting at work. It is excellent. <laughs> I love it. Let me record. <laughs> <laughs> well, how are you, lovely? Um, yeah, it has also been a weekend. Uh, I had physio on Friday, so while I was in a lot of pain, it was like my own fault for going and getting seven huge knots worked out. And the weather has been really hot. It's like 33, 34 degrees right now, and I'm pretty sure I have a sunburn. And yesterday was just hard for a lot of reasons, so I'm really glad that we're hanging out and recording and just getting to like talk about some pretty nice bits of this book. (laughs) We can dissociate for a bit. Yes, yes. (laughs) Please, fiction, carry me away from my real life. It's hard. The dream. I know. Well, did anything spark joy for you this week? Yeah, I met up with my OG book club on Monday, and that was just really lovely. Just, we always have such good chats about things. And even though I haven't read the book, because I was like number 211 on the library wait list. Oh, gosh. um, They all had, and we had good chats about it. I'm still going to read it. It sounds really interesting. Mm. But yeah, it was just lovely. We had some really interesting chats and I just really enjoy their company. That Enjoy the company of smart women, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of the things I really love about when you read books with people. Um, and I get this because I read books with you. Like it's a whole other perspective. And also somebody who's got an amazing brain sussing out things you missed. It's just a great feeling. It's just good. The communal act of reading, right? <laughs> can be so yeah. lovely. It's what we do here. Yes, we make meaning. That's what humans are, meaning-making machines. We do, sometimes to our detriment. Uh, What sparked joy for you this week? Uh, Well, on Friday, I went to the Quilt Show, which is put on every year by Quilt New South Wales, formerly known as the Quilters Guild of New South Wales. And I got my 10-year certificate for showing quilts in the exhibition. Wow! There it is. I have literally been doing this uh, since my son was two weeks old. Yes. Amazing. Um... Yeah, and I my goal has been to get the 10-year certificate, and then the 15, and then the 20, and then the 30. So, like, <laughs> this is my long-term life goal, is just to have a quilt in the quilt show every year. And I've managed it through COVID, and that felt like a pretty big thing. So, yeah. 
not bad. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing achievement. And your quilts are beautiful, so, you oh, know, they're lucky you. to have you. I haven't, I've only won a couple of second place prizes, and those were when I, like, put my whole uh, heart and soul, I won't say what the kids say, but I put my whole that into making the quilt. And, like, every year, it's just kind of like, I just <sighs> want to put something in. So I know that I can do well if I try, but I also just enjoy having a project that has to be finished by a deadline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the the joy of making it, not the competition, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that speaks to my maturity. <laughs> yeah. How's that for a segue? <laughs> um, so good. So this week we're reading chapters 74 through 83 through the theme of maturity. And I was wondering, Jen, if you have a story you would share with us. I sure do. So this is something I feel like I'm very familiar with because I am an only child. So something that I've heard a lot in my life is you're so mature for your age, which is often a phrase that gets trotted out when you're younger as a compliment to you and everything, you know, because you're just like, you're so mature for your age a bit. You're so well behaved. You're so, you know, above it all sort of thing. And it's always a compliment. But in recent years, I've really been unpacking that and what it actually means. And it made me think of a meme that I saw the other day that was like, it said, you're so mature for your age. And the person replied, thanks. It's the trauma. (laughs) Because I think very often it is trauma that causes that kind of maturity and the, the consequences of having to grow up too fast and having to deal with things because you have no choice. So as an only child, for better or worse, I was always in the company of adults. Um, I often just had to deal with adult situations because there were no other children around. My mum would take me to work with her or whatever. I didn't, I very much lived in my own world and made my own entertainment, but I was often an adult company because my parents' friends didn't have children, right? Yeah. So I'd entertain myself. I'd be part of adult conversation from a very young age. And I, I remember being quite resentful of children younger than me or even children my age who behaved in a way that I thought was not mature and would mm-hmm. n- might not I would view, view that as behavior that would get me in trouble like my cousins would be really rambunctious and loud and I know that my dad did not really enjoy that so I wasn't that kind of kid or people would be breaking things which I certainly couldn't be doing without consequences yeah, stuff yeah. like not tidying up after myself like there's just a lot of things that I'd internalized and associated with maturity which means that I became quite resentful of other kids when they didn't act like that mm-hmm. and of course kids are just kids and they should be allowed to be kids and that's why I think about the unfair responsibility that gets saddled onto children when you tell them that they're so mature with their age because kids internalize these things they they, they take yeah. these roles and they make a part of their understanding of self and it feels like a responsibility that you now have to live up to that you have to be mature so the mm. consequences of that is that this belief that you always have to be strong right like you have to disconnect from your needs because your needs are a burden yeah or the belief that you can't ask for help you have to do everything yourself because again if you ask for help then you are a burden on others and you have to be self-sufficient that is what a strong independent person would do and that's what someone who's mature would do right or yeah the individualism yeah exactly if you raise any issues you'd be seen as weak and that is unacceptable so you have to block yourself off from everyone you kind of have to block empathy off for yourself and you can't share that with anyone else because again like the individual has to be the precedent and the reverse of that is that you feel empathy for the people that you're trying to please because you're people pleasing you're trying to live up Mm -hmm. to these expectations and i just find it so fascinating that it is very very often used as a compliment as a a thing to aspire to to be mature but i think maturity always needs to be in context to the time of life like 
being mature before your time robs you of an experience that is part of your development and you shouldn't be striving to to rush through that like and maturity will look different at every age there isn't a set goalpost or a roadmap that you need to hit it's just what makes you feel comfortable right I, i like to think that you never reach doneness there's this idea of being mature that you just like come out of the oven and you're ready yeah but we're always learning and growing yeah yeah and yeah so i thought that was a topical conversation to raise ahead of this reading because these kids have had to be mature before their time they've had Mm -hmm. to be mature for their age because of what they've been through right absolutely it's putting it very well i think some of them have yeah absolutely matured through trauma which is not the best way to do it but that's a good lens for looking at baz through actually i think because i i spotted a lot of his like you're very wise for your years moments for Baz. And I was like, Mm. this is very, and to me as an eldest child, a lot of the same things apply. Like, oh, you're very together for your age. I'm like, yeah, because I am like the one who has to keep the little ones in line so that parents don't get upset. Like I'm the front line here. That's how it felt. Mm. Um, So I I kind of understand. I relate to it in a similar way, how you're not really allowed to be a kid for a very long time because you have to do adult things because the adults are relying on you for whatever reason. Yeah, you kind of run out of road a lot quicker, I think, than other people. Especially this is the beef with younger kids, right? Like the youngest child yeah. is allowed to be a child a lot <laughs> young, younger than anyone else's. Yes, I think that's true. I, yeah, I, I look, I try really hard with my own kids to be as equitable as possible. But sometimes I'm like, but the baby, <laughs> like, actually, the baby could probably do a lot more if the baby was told to do more. <laughs> the baby is 10 and fully capable of a lot of stuff. Oh, but then again, I'm always pulling my oldest back and saying like, hey, stop. That's my job, not your job. Like you, you focus on being a kid because I'm really sensitive to the fact that like I am an oldest child. My partner is an oldest child and we have this oldest child who is like all of the stressy bits of both of us put together. Yeah. But yeah. And it, there's yeah. there is this conflation between like being able to mask and sort of push down your natural inclinations and maturity when it's like, actually, no, kids should be kids. Yeah, I think what's recognized as maturity sometimes is just people pleasing. It's not that I'm mature, mm. it's just that I know what to put up a front to seem that way when yeah. necessary, you know? Like, yeah, you for can sure. play the you can play the game, but that doesn't mean that I'm emotionally ready for it. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like being able to answer questions in class does not mean that I understand what's happening with my peers. Not the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much. Should I read our chapter summaries? Please do. Okay, they're really long this time, but so much happened, I had to include it all. Okay, so, Agatha and Neve are grieving the dead kid, but there's still another one coming, which survives along with the doe. Agatha and Neve can hear Watford shenanigans in the background, but they decide to stick to what they're doing. Good call. Agatha is marvelous, and Neve can't help but notice. She and Neve share a kiss. On their way out of the wood, Agatha realizes that she is meant to be the goat herd. The barn door is open for her, and she thinks kissing Neve is the best thing. And so do I, honestly. Uh, Simon Snow has sent Penny and Baz and Shep on a wild goose chase because he intends to stop Smith Richards himself. In the White Chapel, Smith Richards tries to pivot and accuses Simon of turning up out of jealousy. Rude. He tries to curse Simon, but the spells bounce right off, and Pippa is there with Baz's wand to stop Smith Richards long enough for Simon to literally carry him out of the room. Meanwhile, Metali Bunce is reckoning with her husband having fallen for a chosen one when her daughter turns up with a vampire and a normal to complicate things all over again. Never mind, she's on to it. Smith Richards is arrested. Daphne still has her magic. Pippa tells Baz she never wants to see him again. Baz takes Daphne home. Simon takes Jamie home to Lady Ruth. 
No one is happy that Simon lied, but they agree to table it. The next morning, Baz visits his Aunt Fiona to give her his mother's ring and his kind of blessing, and he and Simon come to a better understanding of what it means to be in relationship with each other. Aww. Oh, so much happens. Yeah. <laughs> I love the maturity we see of Simon and Baz's relationship in this section, particularly because so much of what happens mirrors exactly what happens at the start of the book. There are these moments that are yeah. exact kind of mirrors to what we've seen previously, and we can see how far they've come and how they talk to each yeah, other, yeah. how they think about each other, how they communicate with each other. And I just love that. I love that they're so much better at dealing with things. And then, you know, it's a work in progress. It's always a work in progress, but they're willing to do the work for each other. And it's just so beautiful. Mm. It is. Like, how much of maturity is just the willingness? I think about this all the time because I have the the little grumpy gremlin in my head that kicks off when I don't want to do something. I have to remind myself, like, okay, are you being willful or are you being willing? And, like, maturity is being willing even though you don't want to do something. Um, yes, yeah, so the, the willingness is the maturity and you see Simon mm. actually like going through the discomfort and saying okay I think this is what people do they stay they try to get close and they try to stay there and just the fact that he's like gone through this entire process of like sitting through that discomfort because he believes it's worth it is just beautifully mature of him and I love it Simon is so mature in this section I think like the way he deals with Smith Smith Richards as well he just goes in there he's mm. not getting what round up he's not getting frustrated or angry he's assessing the yeah. situation he's like okay well the best thing for me to do everyone is really angry but that's okay they don't know me they don't know who i am mm. the mage kept me away from them the best way for me to diffuse the situation is to remove smith richards we'll just fly him out of the window <laughs> like cool he picks him up like a toddler who's having a tantrum and just takes him into another room <laughs> like i literally love it so much <laughs> i have done this as a parent so many times and I feel like oh. it really shows Smith's immaturity. Like, he is so wed to the mm. expectations of everything that he can't see the forest yeah. for the trees. And he's just such a, like, again, he's such a toddler. He's just throwing his toys. He's being so horrible. Yeah. What does he say? He's like, what is Destiny doing? Like, yeah. he's really cut up about it because he's really sold on his own self-importance. He really does believe he's the chosen one. But also, he's massively xenophobic. Or whatever, magic yeah, phobic. Yeah, yeah. You can't just sit around and expect Destiny to do the work for you. You still have to take an active part in making things happen. And he's just like, oh, what is Destiny doing? Like, this has got nothing to do with my own actions. Just like the worst kind of, I don't know, just megalomania. Yeah, he is the worst. I agree. Um, I think there's something about the way that he expects it all to go and how that is in itself a problem like the fact that it's going differently to plan is what's causing him so much irritation but he did have this contingency for simon showed up having found out what he's actually doing which was to pivot um which is the moment that i'm like wow okay no this guy is actually like he's not just sold on himself he's like literally evil <laughs> he's yeah he's literally he knows what he's doing right because for part of the book yeah. you can believe that he doesn't actually have that evil intent but here he's like no no I'm weeding out the weak ones, like, so we yeah. only have a society with the best. And then he says, you know, because they're only old stories, no one's making new ones. He's making this mm. commentary about how complacent the world of mages has gotten, which, you know, for a better or worse is probably true. But then Baz talks about Penny bringing a normal into Watford and how many rule books, like, how many history books is she going to end up being in because she's such yeah. a force of nature. And I'm like, that contrasted against Smith's 
perception of things. It's like here you have these people who are writing the stories. Simon is part of the new stories. Yeah. But you're just so blinded by these expectations that you have that you can't see the beautiful things around you. Yes. And also the idea that you have to create just as big a story rather than just living your life. Like it isn't all you can't create these things. You can't force them to happen. Like this is the same problem the mage had, right? Like he had to make the prophecy happen. It couldn't mm. just exist as it was. Like he had to force it into being. Yeah. And sometimes you just need to like, I don't know, let non-specified deity take the wheel for a bit. It's okay to just live in the time you live in. You don't have to be yeah. the chosen one. Appreciate the days you have. I think this is something we can all embrace. Like there's the self-esteem mm. song where she says. Um, the day you get married is not the best day of your life. Every day you get to have is on the day you get married isn't the biggest day of your life. Every day you get to live is a big day. And I just love that. It's like every day is important. Every day you can make a choice to be happy to be alive. Well, not even happy. Just be like content in this day that you have and what you have. Right? Like, yeah. It's like you literally rewrite your brain every time you find things to be grateful for. And it's the most annoying thing in the world, but it actually works and is true. Like I have a, um, I think it's Kurzgesagt. I can't. Like it's like it means acorn in German, and it's a gratitude journal. And sometimes I'm really salty about it, but that thing is so useful for just putting into perspective the fact that I have an amazing life and things are actually really great. And it can be really yeah. annoying to be like, but I want to be grumpy. But you know, the gratitude journal makes it hard for me to stay there. Yeah. And that's okay, right? Like, we're all allowed to feel grumpy or angry or whatever, but we're always coming back to the middle. Yeah. yeah. Feel your feelings, but, like, don't let them dominate. Don't let them take you over, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was quite mature of Agatha and Neve to just not deal with whatever was happening on campus and to keep working with Mm. the goats. Like, I was like, that is the correct decision. (laughs) Yeah, I love how they just, like, explosions, never mind, we're focused yep. over here. And I love how Neve's, like, not even dealing with the dryad. She's like, that is unimportant <laughs> to my life story. And then Agatha Neve says she no only time has time. That aren't useful. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, Agatha. That's kind of sweet because it means she has, she thinks Agatha is useful. But it reminded me of when, oh, was it Simon who said that he didn't just want to be useful? Or was it Penny? No, it was Penny. Penny had that whole thing about just being useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, we see this in blue in the Raven Cycle, too, about yeah. useful versus needed. That's that, And I think that's honestly something I struggle with. Like, if I'm not useful, people won't care about me. And it's like, well, actually, you know, just having value by being here is probably enough. Yeah. But, you know, I can tell everybody else that, but telling myself that is a whole other um, argument. I feel like my house I is think, full of um, a lot of people going in and out of the door. So if people are hearing all of this background noise, I am sorry. I have very noisy children. <laughs> it's fine. Adds to the ambiance. <laughs> yes. It's very windy Indeed. here today, so you're going to hear the wind anyway. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have I have two my, my two whirling dervishes, and then you've got your actual wind. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think... Neve is actually very mature in how she approaches her job. Mm. I mentioned it last time, but she's very like, con- like she's very happy to just step aside and let Agatha deal with this because she's the one getting results. So she's like, "Cool, go yeah. ahead and do it." And again, here she's like, let, "Let's just get it this done." Yeah, she doesn't have the hang up. Um, she doesn't put ego in in front of anything else. Like, 
the job is to take care of the goat. So she doesn't let her ego tell her, oh, well, I'm not doing it. That's bad. It's like, oh, good. I found someone who can do it. This is good. Hmm. Hmm. I just, I love, I love the, I love their whole path to each other. I love that Agatha is impressed and also unimpressed with Neve's grumpiness. I love that Neve finally looks at Agatha the way that everybody else always has. And it's like the first time Agatha's ever liked anyone to look at her that way. Like she's wonderful. I love that Agatha also says no one's ever kissed me like they like this. Like it's a kiss that asks yeah. something of me. And it really reminded mm-hmm. me of Simon and Baz talking at the start of this book, right? Where Simon says, you know, I never, there was never expectations for me. And I was never expected to do anything. It never asked anything of me mm-hmm. with Agatha. And just the way they both never really engaged with each other in that way. That It's like compulsory heterosexuality and progress with the two of them. Where they're like, oh, well, guess we're together. And we're just never going to ask each, any, each, anything of each other. But yeah, this yeah. is just, this is fine. We like each other. Yeah, and they do. And this is something I think that's really important is that they both actually are friends like he's always happy to to see Agatha and she even at one point I don't know if it was the section or last section I think it was last section she's talking to Neve and she's like well he's my friend he's and he's very nice you'd like him if you would let yourself get to know him and you know Mm. Neve is sort of like I don't not like him you know but I I love that they still have that friendship even though they did date for a long time and they were both like oh eh, I guess it's over like it was more wounded it was more like wounded pride but not wounded pride it was like the loss of the life he thought he was supposed to have when she left simon but yeah not, yeah We're, like it wasn't yeah. a genuine loss i think for agatha it was wounded pride like the way she talks about baz and simon and how she was something in the middle that they just had to step over to get to each other like yeah something they had to drive to me, around yeah and she was playing this game where she thought she was kind of like I guess manipulating bears and not consciously but a, a, sometimes mm. that is part of the compet situation is that a lot of women don't realize they're gay because they like manipulating men for affection or not like but they get some sort of satisfaction out of it that feels like yeah. love like this manipulation yeah. for for attention and I feel like maybe that's yes. what Agatha was doing because she's so neglected by her parents yeah they're just very um hands off I think but I don't think she yeah. needed them to be hands-on. I think she just has a very specific kind of life that... And, and like, she, her specific personality doesn't require her friendships to be, like, the all-encompassing, in-each-other's-pockets type of friendships, right? Like, she actually quite likes her time by herself. And she likes hanging out with her friends, but it's not, like, the end of the world if she doesn't, you know? She's sufficient. She's very self-sufficient, yeah. I would argue that's hyper-independence bred from her own kind of trauma. I don't think that yeah. is necessarily healthy. Yeah, that's true. She's gone the individualist route of, I'll just be by myself and it'll be fine. Yeah. And if I'm not with these people, then I don't get involved in their drama. I won't get kidnapped, all these things. You know. But look, she managed to get kidnapped all on her own without their help. So it really is... <laughs> just something that happens to her a lot she's just she's, yeah she's, she's just got a vibe she's the spider's george of magical <laughs> kidnapping plots i guess baz is very mature in general isn't he maybe that's the oldest child um symptoms as you've already mentioned yeah. like he's so mature with his his situation with pippa he's just like very open mm. to the point where i think it'd be quite annoying for her where he's like look i'm willing to take 
whatever punishment you want to give me. And she's like, just get out of my face. And then he's like very understandingly nodding. Like that would drive me insane if I was Pippa. Yes, I actually was giggling the whole time because I was just imagining how annoyed you would be at Baz at that moment. And I'm like, this is probably the moment where Jen likes Baz the least because he's very like, like, what can I do? Stop (laughs) it. Stop it. Um, yeah. But also, I mean, like, when people so mess up, you don't want them to grovel. You just want them to fix it. Yeah, don't be that understanding. That's that's doesn't serve anyone. <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. like it because <laughs> yeah. it kind of like nullifies nice. the anger. Yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but he's also very mature about the whole Daphne situation. I think like he's very good about it. Like he, you know, he went into this to fix it. He's taking Daphne home, and then he has that lovely moment with her in the car where Daphne's having a breakdown because she's like, she feels so bad about what happened. What And she says, you know, this wouldn't, yeah. your mum would never have done this. And he's like, well, my mum's not here. Yeah, I, I agree that Baz's maturity is off the charts, especially with Daphne. I mean, the way he was talking about how he never resented her. Like, you know, he mm. went to Watford and got over the fact that his dad remarried and then he was able to see the good in it. And this is the thing that it's like, he isn't burying his bad feelings. He got over it because he was somewhere else and he was able to process it with space and time, which is perfect. And he talks about how his dad was very hard, but Daphne makes him softer. Mm. And, you know, she's a good mom to him, even though she's always holding herself up. And this is something I found really interesting. She's always holding herself up to this, like, invisible Natasha Grim pitch. Like, this former wife, this 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 previous wife and previous mother is somebody who's always going to cast a larger shadow and she's just decided to live with that because she loves this family and Hmm. you know like he's good with his siblings and I don't know there's so much about it and he gives her some really good practical advice which is I don't know my dad doesn't seem to care if I don't explain things he actually seems relieved when I don't so maybe you won't have to say anything (laughs) about it and I was like this is the most British thing I've ever heard in my life yeah so yeah, funny. just don't say anything. Mm. But he still gives them time to have their reunion, right? Mm. Like he takes the kids off their yeah. hands, and yeah, and he takes Delia outside. And <laughs> one of my very favorite moments is, "Mom's home." That's Baz. One of them says, <laughs> <laughs> "Like, yes, that's right." These kids are too funny. They're great. They're so good. They definitely um, Baz's siblings for sure. <laughs> I kind of want to talk about Mattelli and Martin and how I think it's a little bit troubling that they only have each other. I think that Martin has wanted or maybe needed other friendships for a while and Mattelli needs help and she actually says, I need help. I need a break. And just neither of them are really like they love each other so much, but neither of them are really getting all that they need. And that's kind of a pitfall that happens when you're too like involved with just one other person, I think. Yeah, it's interesting because she talks about, like, we don't have friends. We have each other. We have children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, have I, it really stood out to me when she said, well, you know, she talks about how she feels like she's failing her children. And she's like, I don't understand. I don't know yet how I'm failing my youngest. And that worries me. She lists, like, all the concerns she has about her kids yeah. and how she feels she's failing them. And then she talks about the decision to take over the school and how that takes her away. But it's fine because they see each other on weekends and... It's not like Martin has anything to do because he does, he's not hunting the humdrum anymore, not charting the holes anymore, so he can just look after the kids. And I'm like, yeah, but think about what that would have felt like for Martin. You know, if he just paused for a second, this man who's the scholar, 
who does a lot yeah. of academic work he's got this project that's now been taken away from him and now you just want him to just look after the kids like you've taken a lot he's lost a lot there that I feel like isn't yeah. acknowledged in the same way that Pramal has lost a lot and yeah, Penny yeah, has yeah. lost it's a lot obvious with yeah. yeah so it's a family who've really they're really struggling and they've really lost a lot in this like downfall of this society as they knew it but she doesn't have the mm-hmm. time to deal with it and so you know Martin finds salvation at the this community that's been created by this chosen one it's this whole bid for community thing right like most yeah. people would join a book club but that's okay go <laughs> join the chosen one cult I think it's really interesting because Baz's assessment of Martin's power is that it's that he's not in need of a magical top-up. And I want to know, do you think that his expectation of what being a powerful mage looks like is colored by the fact that his kids are all very powerful and his wife is extremely powerful? Like, do you think that's actually cha- warped his perception? Yeah, I think we always we always measure ourselves by the people we're around, right? Like, you're always mm. going to hold yourself up to the people you see every day. And, you know, the fact that, yeah, he cast that spell where he does the gin and tonics and Baz is like any person who can cast that twice in a row is absolutely fine but we've just had Matale jump from the weeping tower and use the right. foot like a butterfly spell right so she is immensely powerful and I think if you're constantly being dismissed as well because you're not as powerful especially Matale we know she's very like pro magic she talks about using it all the time she's not like other people where it's like conserve your magic conserve your magic so yeah. maybe it's also just more obvious in that household and maybe he feels like he can't hold his own against her, or maybe it's even like he wants to help her and he feels like he can't pull his weight because he doesn't have as much magic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is so interesting because I feel like he's the more present and, I don't know, on deck parent more. Like he, he feels more like the parent that Penny goes to for emotional stuff. Like the, mm. I'm feeling sad so I want to talk, talk, talk it through with my dad. Like that's her person to talk things through with. Like her mom is who she goes to for like political problems <laughs> and her dad's like oh I feel sad what do I do like that's how it feels like to me um and it's weird that we don't see much of the relationship that the other kids have like we just know that Penny is one of many but you don't really get to see the dynamics because Penny is basically like a border in her family and mm. has always been so Simon focused like she just basically was like right this is the person I'm hitching my wagon to so to speak so their dynamic is really interesting because we don't get Penny's perspective on it. We only get, like, little bits. But, yeah, I, I've always thought of her dad as being, like, really sensible. And it's nice to see a character who's really sensible get caught up in something like this. Because, like, it could happen to anyone. Yeah. And I hope that the World of Mages have a, a bit of a reckoning off the back of that. Where they actually sit and look at why mm-hmm. it is that people bought into this. And what can they do to stop that from happening again. To stop people like Martin and Daphne who have magic. But maybe they're not, like, well, Daphne particularly not massively strong but like to stop those people from feeling that they have to take these extremes yeah, to feel like they're I part mean, of the the society yeah that's it's it's scary to think that people are making themselves vulnerable to curses simply because they want so badly to belong to a group that they belong to by birthright i guess it's like having to prove their patriotism or something and it's just it's mm. very dangerous and not not good at all um and yeah, it does seem like a society that is very set in its ways and traditional and conservative and hasn't had a lot of time to reckon. And when you have the Davies in charge of it, you go so hard the other way that it's not ungenuine. You're just going to get that reverse swing back into the same conservatism because 
the progress that was made is going to all be lumped in with all of the other nonsense that he was doing. So you're not going to get like an actual sort of medium, I don't know, moderate sort of mid-center, yes, mm. moderate, a good moderate reform. Like he went way too hard rather than just like going as far as he needed to go or like 10% farther so that when he had to make concessions, it was where he wanted to actually be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I totally Ugh. see. Yeah. <laughs> And this is because power in the world of mages is something that, like, the expectation of having power means that you have political power and you have, well, probably financial power because they all marry for money and power. It's just wild to me. It's not a sustainable model. No. Um, yeah, no. Not. And speaking of, it just reminds me of Nicodemus, right, being struck from the book because he's a vampire yeah. and like the way they pulled his mm. fangs out and all these things i mean for, like he's a gangster whatever he probably killed people yeah i mean he's not a saint no but i feel like we see some maturity from here him as well here and this like he has this conversation with baz he doesn't really mm. want to but he does he's tempered his expectations as well like he has this moment where he says i don't want to live forever without fiona at any rate and i think that shows how far he's come because like when he was yes. a brass 21 year old he wanted to get turned so that he could rule and live forever and now he's like none of that matters if i can't have fiona yeah because it's all about the people in your life like nobody sits it in the nobody on their deathbed is like i wish i'd sent more emails <laughs> like they wish they'd spent more time with their family or they wish they had pursued that friendship or like the regrets we have are almost always about the things we didn't do or spent time with yeah. the people we didn't get to spend time with like that it, yeah so I love that um, Nico is getting this now and he's like actually saying it to Baz who's like his sort of step nephew in law that he has to deal with like their relationship's gonna be so weird but Baz is going to need that too because he doesn't have any mentors who can like sort of walk him through what it's like to live in the body that he lives in. I love that he's like, if you haven't noticed, my aunt's a vampire hunter and Nico's like, yeah, have you noticed? Like, <laughs> pop kettle, you know? <laughs> I think it's great. I mean, I think the thing that it will actually do is cause there to be more of a, um, like, less illegal people eating is what I think will happen because Fiona will accept the lines of like consent more because she'll have someone who's like walked with her and will be able to tell yeah. her who's good and who's not I also who's think it's just as it's important for Baz's self-acceptance in a way because this you know he says to Fiona she says imagine a wedding vampires on one side pictures on the others and Baz is like, yeah, that's going to put me in a difficult position, which is him directly acknowledging it. Then before mm -hmm. he freaked out when Fiona implied he had to go drink some rats, he was like, we don't talk about this. We never talk about this. But here he is making that connection yeah, himself. And joke, I think that yeah. is, yeah, that is maturity too. Like it's part of his journey. And I think having Nico and the family actually will help as well. Yeah. And it gives, it gives him a, a template to like not have to be whoever his mother, whoever he thinks his mother would have expected him to be and we don't know as he like even he says you know he's trying to figure out like how did she feel about gay people maybe when george michael came out i will have to ask questions <laughs> it's very cute i know he wants to know he wants to know if he's like would he be kicked out for that or for this like oh it was just so interesting i've been listening to um 
I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about human trafficking and they were talking about how most of human trafficking was human trafficking was actually kids who had been kicked out of their homes because they were queer and how they basically had to trade favors of some kind in order to have like a place to sleep or food to eat and I was like this is the problem like these parents think they're saving their kids by not letting them stay at home where they're safe but then they're not safe and I'm just like thank goodness Baz is safe thank goodness that he was always like it wasn't overtly accepted but like it was never he was never overtly rejected you know I mm. love that that has just like it, it, it's better yeah I love that Daphne even says to him you know we're gonna maybe we can do up a barn and you can bring someone home and he's like whatever and she's like I think it's possible Basil and I think this is part of you know Daphne is mm. trying to she kind of manages Malcolm in a way but I just I think there's love in that moment as well where she's like we can work through this together like yeah. yes of course you would want a situation where Malcolm didn't have any hang-ups, but people have a lot to unlearn, and I don't think necessarily throwing him out with for this behaviour is helpful. I, yeah. I think he does yeah. love Baz, and he has his own journey to go on, and it's nice to see that Daphne is like, yeah, we're, I'm going to take him on that journey. I'm going to help him and support him through that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that she's the softening effect. I think that, I mean, in any... I, I, it does seem to follow gender roles a lot that it's like the woman who's the kinder, gentler one. But I think that in any relationship, you usually have someone who softens someone else and, and softens their partner. And that's certainly true for both my yeah. husband and I, but we do it in different directions. Like sometimes when I'm going hard, I'm like, no, this is terrible. This is the worst thing. I'm not going to do it. And he's like, okay, but think about their perspective. And I'm like, oh, fine, you're right. And I do the same for him. And like that works. You sometimes need someone who's going to take that opposite approach to you that gentler approach and i think we see that with martin Matali. like martin is mm. that to Matali in a lot of ways like when yeah, he's the you know Matali's coming out of the tower penny says to martin you know don't let her cast on shepherd like he's yeah. the one she goes to yeah. for that yeah <laughs> yes oh i love this i love i love that she immediately is like i have to protect him <laughs> he's he's vulnerable now this literally is, nothing you paper. say what does he say to her? Like, literally nothing you say is reassuring. Somehow still smiling at her. I love it so much. Um, I love Shepard. I love Penny so much. And I love that he was like, cool, a magic school? All right, let's just hand out biscuits. Lemonade. Let's do it. Like, this this has got to be the best day of his life. Like, in, in a row, every day has been better than the day before. No. To be Shepard Love right now in this point in the book he's got to be flying so high i love it <laughs> um i also love Matali's expectation that simon is the bad influence on penny and how both baz mm. and shepherd laugh about that that is one of my favorite parts of the book yeah because shepherd has now been exposed to bad influence penny for a lot like weeks <laughs> yeah simon just shows up and saves the day penny actually is a creature of mayhem and rule breaking <laughs> I do love that moment when Pippa walks away that she goes and stands behind Baz and she's got like her gem out and she's like ready to fight. Like I love that we've had this development of a relationship between them as well and he's like no no yeah. it's fine Penny but she will like you said a true neutral she doesn't care. Yeah. She will protect the people she cares about and everything else can burn to the ground. Yeah pretty much Yeah, and what did she say that um, being reassuring isn't one of her core competencies but breaking mm. people out of towers is? Like that is very accurate. I appreciate that. As somebody who is very uh, 
angry at injustice but wants to be soft and empathetic i find that my i'm anger empathetic so like i get really righteously outraged and i wish i could be like the kind and soft person but i'm like i will go and destroy them point me in the direction i will run them down like i am the i turn to violence in my mind um it's not great but like i love that petty shares that 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 impulse to just attack protect yeah yeah a plus it's a good thing I don't have any magical powers or gems because I would have caused a lot of problems before that frontal lobe developed <laughs> all the way. For sure. Uh, okay, that's everything I had, I think, for expectations and Yes, I maturity. did have a little bit more, but it's my in-depth soul statement. I okay, think I've great. got... I just wanted to point out that... Oh, there was something... Oh, the expectation of how Metali treats Jamie and, like, the way that Simon is observing Aww. it. Like... He doesn't think he's ever seen her look apologetic before. And, you know, on page 515, they actually go through and, you know, have you heard from her? No, have you? I thought I might after he died. Yeah, me too, but I haven't heard anything. Like, they're talking about Lucy, but it's just this really quiet and kind of beautiful, sad acknowledgement that neither of them really had the expectation that they'd hear for, but they still have the hope. Mm. And I just love that Simon got to be part of that and see that. Because he'll later slot this in. Like, he'll think about this later when he finds out, you know, he'll he'll think about it later and he'll know that there were people who were always hoping and always looking and always caring yeah and I love that Jamie Jamie tells Simon the story and he's like wow someone you know like the mage dated someone and I just I love that he gets these moments but it's kind of horrible that you know everyone was oh I don't know like the, the the implication that Lucy ran away from the mage and then it you know, um, Jamie says dad wanted to have a duel against the mage and mm-hmm. he turned up there accusing Lady Ruth of keeping them apart, which makes me very confused about what yeah. actually happened. I know. Where is she? What's like, going on? Did Lucy leave Simon at the orphanage? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. I don't know. Or was Davy just playing the long game? Like he was just going in with the con? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I think that the idea that she disappeared and left him was something he put out because he didn't want people to be like, oh, she died. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love if she actually just left him. Like, yeah, sure. We can accept that she died in childbirth and it's horrible. I don't know. It would have been nice if she managed to get away. Yeah. Even if she did still die. I would have liked that agency for her. I love her for choosing to try and stay and I love her for choosing love but yeah my heart hurts for her for sure um did you have any tangential marginalia I love that Matali says on page 493 that Martin takes the whole world in that's a tremendous thing to be able to hold the whole world inside yourself and still feel compassion for it I just think it's such a beautiful observation from her such a tender moment for them yeah beautiful thing it is beautiful I also love that uh, Matali's own son brought the classroom wall down with a yeet. I still yeet all day, every day. I say almost once a week that I will yeet myself into the harbour. I live for the yep. yeet. We love the yeet. I'm I'm old and I also love yeet. I think it's now officially a, an elder millennial approved phrase. So we, we've taken that from the younger millennials. Sorry, it's ours now. Um, that also made me laugh. Um... There was a Lord of the Rings reference, which I flagged for you on page oh, yeah. 44. I was like, Balrogs, that's a Gen V thing. This is a very 
<laughs> Every time I see Gandalf now, because I named my cat Gandalf, which was very silly of me, I'm like, why are they talking about? Oh, no, he's actually that wizard guy. Yeah. Um, and I just want to talk about how much I love Neve and Agatha. That's something that I just... I have this vision of them being the grouchy lesbian homesteader friends who, like, hate everyone, but they'll definitely come over and hang a door for you um, <laughs> and judge you, but they'll do it. Um, especially when Neve is beaming at the goats at me. And I love Agatha saying here, Neve kisses me again, and I want to draw a line through everything I considered a kiss before. Because when you have a kiss like that, and, like, you kiss people, and then you kiss the person, and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is a kiss. That's such a great moment, mm-hmm. and I love that. Oh, and I just everything with Jamie Salisbury, I find him really adorable and charming and kind of hopeless, but, like, he's my little Blorbo, and I love him. He thinks it's funny that the coven <laughs> thought he would be murdered by vampires. He's kind of still in awe that Simon Snow was sent to fetch him. He feels embarrassed that his mom would have to come and bail him out of jail, but, like, of course she would, because he says he's a plonker, and it's just, it's like... It's okay. You can just be, like, a little guy, a little scrungly guy. There's no pressure. Yeah. I think I've covered everything else. The only other thing I had is I love I love that Baz says that, you know, um, he's looking for Simon. And he says to Matali, is he under arrest? And Matali says, not yet. Should he be? And yeah. then he says, no, he should be given a medal and a pension. So true. He should <laughs> be given a medal and a pension. He should have gotten that at the end of the first Absolutely. book. Absolutely. Like, the mages inheritance is not enough for him he has been traumatized repeatedly mm-hmm. by the world of mages um yeah. and the fact that baz brings that up before when they're or at, at that evening when they're talking on the phone and he says like you served it unflaggingly with honor and you owed them nothing and yet you still served it so i was like but i liked it i liked having a job i liked having a purpose i like having you know he doesn't say vocation but a vocation but baz has got this great point that like you actually owe them nothing and they owe you everything yeah, even the fact that you liked it shouldn't mean that you should just have done it. Like, it's it's a job. You did a sure. job. You should get something for it. Like, just because you like doing the job doesn't Dude. mean you should do it for free. I absolutely love parenting. Like, it is the thing that I am supposed to be doing. I feel that in my soul. But I would really love to have at least government-funded superannuation. Like, I don't yeah. need a salary, but just pay into my super for the love of... Because, like, I don't have a way of making money if mm. I want to be a full-time parent. And we <laughs> we are outside of the uh, income bracket for carer's allowance, which would be, like, I think $70 a fortnight anyway, which is just perfect, right? Like, how much... Mm. How useful is that, really? Mm. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, like, there's no... <coughs> there's no real mechanism for a chosen one who fulfilled his chosen one duties and just gets to hang around now like what do you do they're supposed to die (laughs) you're not supposed to have to look after them in their old age right the dumbledore strategy (laughs) yeah i'll just get cursed and then uh orchestrate my death in a way that traumatizes a bunch of kids and tell no one about it 10 out of 10 no no (laughs) that guy's the worst i mean i get it but like he's the worst um, do you have an in-depth? I sure do. So mine is on page 543. And it's when Simon and Baz are having their little delightful intimate moment. Hmm. And Simon says, 
He's having that whole thing where, you know, Baz came back this morning, he's always going to come back, and he talks about this is what people do, which is this recurring thing throughout the book, right? And he says, they keep trying to hold on to each other, even though it's not really possible, I don't think. Because people are always moving, aren't they? But this is what they do. They keep trying. I'll keep trying to keep him well, to keep him happy. Um, I think it relates to the theme of maturity, because I think this is a very mature moment from Simon. He has really let go of a bit of that insecurity and the way that he was pushing Baz away because he was too afraid to get close. Like, this is a moment where he's processing that and he's gotten to the other side of it where he's like, you know, he's going to, this is what people do, but he's going to come back. And expectation as well, because there's an expectation of behavior. Like, they've really worked through what they expect of each other and that they're getting to a point where they trust that and there's something between them that's strong enough to lean Mm -hmm. on, as they've mentioned previously in the book. It reminds me of a conversation that I actually had at my book club on Monday where I was talking about the fact that I personally struggle with the idea of relationships and love a lot of the time. And I think part of it is Mm. that there is, when you pause, I can't think about it too much because when you stop and think about it, it's kind of unhinged that you just take a person at their word that this is going to be a thing. Like we were talking about people get married and they're like, yeah, of course, I love you. I'm going to be here forever. I'm like, yeah, but you could change your mind at any stage. I'm just going to trust you now that you are saying this to me and I just have to take you at your word. Like, mm. that is a terrifying thing to do. It's a terrifying thing to just yeah. go, yeah, I'm going to trust you. And I think that's why I was, I, I got really teary reading this. I'm like, I wrote in the note, why am I crying? Because I think this Aww. is such an important stage to get to where it's like, everything's, nothing is static. The person that you love mm. is not static. This relationship that you have is not static. But yeah, people are always going to keep moving. And all we can do, all we can really promise each other is that we'll keep trying to be together. And it's not yeah. forever. And it doesn't have to be forever. I think we do a disservice by making this big deal about it because it robs relationships of value if they're not forever. And I think we've discussed it many, many times that sometimes relationships are just for a season and that doesn't mean they aren't valuable or that that person wasn't important to you. It doesn't devalue mm. anything that you've experienced. And maybe instead of trying to make it about forever, it's about being good enough for each other every day in the moment rather than taking this long-term view. So I think going forward, it's just been on my mind a lot recently that you aren't guaranteed a long-term future. You are only guaranteed today, the moment that you have right now. And it's our duty to make the most of that for ourselves. And my friend at book club was talking about this book she read, which was written by a palliative care nurse about conversations that she had. And it was called, let me look it up. Um, top five regrets of the dying and it, it, oh, it's wow. just a really poignant thing and it's exactly like you said no one's going to regret the email they didn't send like I'm not going to regret not working harder at work the things that we regret <laughs> yeah. are the relationships and the people and telling people that they matter to us like telling the people who are important to you that they're important and not having those kind of regrets so going forward I just really want to remember to live in the moment and tell the people that I love them when I love them and not get hung up on the the nonsense that takes up so much space. It's okay to love people. It is. And it is really, I will say, the idea of meeting someone and being like, yes, I'm going to trust that we're going to throw our lot in together. That is really scary. And I think it's scary in a different way for me, being 
coupled and quite, I would say quite happily coupled and seeing a lot of our peers who we thought were also very happily coupled separating. Mm. That's a really stressful thing too. Cause you're like, what went wrong? Could it happen to us? And so you're sort of like, wah, it's a bit confronting. You have to look in and say, is everything okay? Are we okay? Are you, you, you promise? Are you good? Are we still working together on this shared goal of like a mm. life? Okay, good. You know? And I really yeah. think that's hard. Like that's hard. People do change and they do grow in it does take effort to grow together. Yeah. And that's what Simon is that's what Simon's doing right here. He's he's looking at this and he's saying, I'm gonna stay close. I'm gonna try to keep him well and happy. I'm gonna keep him close and try to stay there. And that's just that's it. That's life. It's beautiful. That's every relationship that you care about or have any investment in. You just stay close and try to be well and happy and good. Yeah, I think if you wake up every morning in a relationship and that's what you think, that you, this is going to be our day, we're just going to do our best and we're going to keep trying and mm. keep each other happy and healthy and good as much as we can, then you are in a great place, I think. Absolutely. Um, there's a, I'm just going to grab it. There's an excellent quote, an excellent quote by Eckhart Tolle, which I love, which is, if I accept relationships are here to make me conscious instead of happy, they become a tool that keeps realigning me with my higher purpose for living. Aww. And I think about that a lot because like sometimes, especially with, you know, my kids, like that relationship does change over time because they're babies and then they're toddlers and they're children. And now I've got preteens. So it's a different, it's different every time. But yeah, that realignment, like this, this might not be making me happy, but like, what is it doing and how do I serve it? And how do I make it work for both of us so that it's a growth place? Mm. a place of love and safety even if it's not me being perfectly happy it might mean that I have something I need to change or it might need, mean that I need to communicate about something else so yeah yeah being conscious of it is good yeah just having the awareness like don't don't take it for granted check in hmm. well what was your in-depth uh, so mine is on page 488 and it's when Agatha yells at Eb's dryad so she oh. says, if you let a goat suffer on her grave, she will never forgive you. She'll haunt you forever. I really love this. I love this because it feels on the surface like a very immature thing to do. Like she's upset because there's a kid that's died and the, the doe is in trouble. And, and the dryad's been really snarky about it. And she's like, this is a place things come to die. Deal with it, lady. What has Watford ever done for you? And she's like, I don't even care, but this is about this goat. And like, I know one thing about Eb, she loved this goat. So if you do this, she'll haunt you. And the dryad's like, well, joke's on you, lady, because she'll always haunt me anyway, because we were in love and now she's gone. Um, you know, which Agatha doesn't know and, and is heavily implied, but you know. So I think it, it looks like it's immature that Agatha is like yelling at someone for doing the wrong thing. But I think that it's actually quite canny because Agatha's saying like, I can't do everything in the macro sense. Like, I'm not going to the school to save it from whatever explosions are happening, but I'm going to focus on this one thing. I'm going to care for this specific creature. And I think even though Agatha's yelling at the dryad, she's also kind of talking to herself. She can't run away from this. She can't wriggle out of it. She has to do the work. And she knows that she's needed here. And this is her moment where she rises up and actually does the job that she needs to do. Like, she's been kind of easing herself into it. But this is the, like, moment where she sits into it. She clicks into it. Mm. So it reminds me of Hamilton. Because mm. I still love Hamilton. And I think about Hamilton a lot. And I'm thinking about the last song. Um, 
where at the end Eliza puts herself back in the narrative and she continues the work like she focuses on the work that was being done and she continues the work and so Agatha is continuing Eb's work she decides that or she understands that it's her job to tend the goats to keep the goats and she realizes this when she brings the new kid to meet the herd and like she's intuiting what the goats need and like she Mm -hmm. sees them she walks in on the barn the barn opens the doors for her so this is Eb's garden and these are the seeds that Eb planted and didn't get to see but Agatha is the one who gets to tend that garden she gets to take the mantle up and I just love it um, so going forward I want to say that I joke about how much I hate adulting but I actually secretly love being a grown up because I like having responsibilities and I like having little jobs and I like doing a good job at stuff But it took me a really long time to realize that there was no template. I had to catch all of these lessons from all of these different people who I respect and admire and put it together in a way that fits me. And in that way, I had to become responsible for like my own path of maturity. I wish I had had more help there. Um, But I want to say to anybody else who feels like they're struggling that I recognize growing up and changing and maturing, it doesn't always follow us that path. We just have to keep our eyes and ears open for people who are willing or able to guide us. So Agatha did what she was expected to do, and then she pushed back really hard against what she was expected to do. And then she kind of let herself be guided to what she was meant to do, I think. But she had to be open to that. So don't let other people's expectations prevent you from maturing into who you are meant to be. Oh, I love that. Such good advice. Now I want to watch Hamilton, but I can't because our internet is broken. I'm very sad hopefully (laughs) to be fixed tomorrow i just have to call the guy now i can't believe that the dog ate the internet (laughs) like she ate the entire internet it's gone (laughs) who would you like to spotlight this week so i'm actually gonna spotlight daphne because i think going home after you've done something silly is really difficult and facing the people that you feel like you've left down let down rather is really difficult as well and I think you know she has this moment where she doesn't want to get out of the car and she just feels kind of sheepish but also you know the kind of shame that you feel in a situation like that Mm. is really debilitating and she's going in to face her family and she's putting on a brave face for the kids and she has to talk to Malcolm and like I just really feel for her and I'm glad that Baz is there for her in that moment to give her a little bit of that strength that she needs and you know it's gonna be okay she's doing her best and like I kind of want to give a shout out to Mitali as well because I feel like every mother I've ever encountered never feels like they're doing a good job and always feel like they're Mm. failing their children so if you're a mum and you're listening to this you're doing your best and that's all that can be asked of you yeah it's hard out there for mums yeah it really is it's not fair um who would you like to spotlight i'm going to spotlight agatha i just it was really down to agatha or pippa this week but i think agatha takes it because she just settles into the awareness that this is her job now and she's not resentful about it so you know we've seen a lot of agatha be like really pouty i would say about being mrs chosen one or mourning Mm. the death of the chosen one like she's like okay this is my life whatever and she's sort of given up on being a vet because like it didn't fit in or she couldn't get the grades but this is her just being like oh i guess i'm ebb now cool this is my life Mm-hmm. And she just walks in and takes it. And that, like, that is an incredible act of maturity and emotional depth. And I'm just so proud of her. And also she gets to get her face kissed off. And I'm here for it. Yay, so, yeah, I, I get that. My, my spotlight this week. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm so happy. Like, I 
when I read this, I was like, the first time I was like, please let Neve and Agatha get together. Like the whole time I was like, please, 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 please. I was so happy they did. So yeah. Um, do you have any homework for our readers this week? I do not. No, sorry. It's been a light week on the ground. How about you? Um, I have been enjoying watching Only Murders in the Building. It's very mm. funny. I still really struggle because <laughs> Mabel refuses to enunciate. And I feel like that is something she should definitely do. I have to watch it with subtitles because I cannot understand her. when She's just talking normally. It's very stressful. But it is a very good show and I highly recommend everybody watch it. I'm waiting for the season to finish and then I shall watch it all in a day like I always do. I mistakenly thought that it was done because it started a couple weeks ago and I was like, surely it's out by now. And I started and I was like, what? Five episodes? What? This isn't mm. fair. So um, I played myself there. Well, next week we're reading chapters 84 to the epilogue through the theme of love. And then we're wrapping up the book and this journey mm. with the series. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. I can't believe this is episode nine. No, always. Every time. Every time a surprise. I know. It's like, we do this, this is our 11th season. I'm still like, what? What? <laughs> oh, well, that's good. Thank you so much, Jen. This was great. And I'm sorry about the whole dog ate the internet thing. That's okay. Thank you for bearing with my many ailments. <laughs> it has been a time for you. You I can really... go and have a lie down now. Yep, yeah, I am definitely going to go do that. <laughs> What's that, what's that saying the old say? Bex and a lie down? Go have a Bex and a lie down, dear. Sounds delightful. <laughs> All right. Love you, love you. Love you too. See you next week. I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Marginali Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com. Check out our Instagram or maybe dash off a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website, www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 